I just... Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass! And you got your head all the way up it! Jesus. When I think of asses, woman's ass, something comes out of me. Hello, welcome to another episode of Pacino Pod. I'm Callie, and I'm joined with my my lovely co-host, Jane. How are you doing, Jane? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, about the same. <laughs> <laughs> We're both yeah, just it's, lying. It's, uh, <laughs> it's 20 fucking 20, so, you know, it's, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to be like, I'm doing super positive right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's like the week after, or, you know, Thanksgiving just passed, so things are about to get weird, too. We were so close to, like, having a perfectly timed to have scent of a woman come out during Thanksgiving week, but it was just a couple of weeks too soon. <laughs> <laughs> well. So instead, our Thanksgiving episode was two bits. <laughs> this kind of makes sense. It's a family film, so I <laughs> Family, in quotation marks. Almost 25 years to the day uh, since Heat came out on December 15th, 1995, and that's the film that we're here to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah, we planned this. This was definitely planned to coincide with the anniversary. <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting that they timed this to come out at Christmas. Um, yeah, I mean, I, like, it makes sense, though. They usually like to, um, they're like the two big seasons to release movies are like summer and blockbusters and like christmas time and it's like a big it's like a big th three hour blockbuster film with like all these huge actors in it and it's like a big crime film so it makes sense to come out during christmas i guess yeah <laughs> they're like heat go see it with your dad yeah i think that's the exact tagline for the movie it's a very dad <laughs> film it's a very film a film that you like sit down and watch silently with your dad <laughs> that's my that's a that's a good genre oh my god i'm gonna make that as a playlist on letterboxd just like movies to silently watch with your father oh yes yeah actually a lot of pacino films qualify for that list yes <laughs> yeah what did you i mean i remember you said that you were like kind of in the middle on this yes and i was kind of talking to my um roommate about it right after I finished watching it, and he had seen it before, and, you know, he was kind of saying that, like, he always wasn't very, he, like, wasn't a huge fan of it, because it felt like there was all these characters, but they mostly just existed as, like, plot devices, or, like, just Al Pacino and Robert did, like, they weren't, like, they, like, for instance, the, the guy who worked as the uh, cook, uh, and then ended up becoming the driver at the last minute, like... Right, the Allstate guy. Yeah, the Allstate guy. <laughs> I don't even know his name as an actor. I just don't miss the Allstate guy. But he, like his character, it just felt like, you know, like, oh, well, we need to make sure that Danny Trejo isn't in this scene, so let's just throw this guy in and, like, be like, oh, he's an ex-con who, like, tried to go straight but couldn't make it work, and now he's dead. <laughs> his name's uh, Dennis Hate. Dennis Haysbert, yeah, the Allstate man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm, 
I agree with you, like, completely. Like, those, those are kind of, like, my issues with the film, is that, like, there's so much going on in this movie. It almost reminded me of, like, in screenwriting class, maybe I've mentioned this before, but there was this, this kid in my screenwriting class that every time we pitched, you know, our little ideas, he would, like, say, wait, were we in the same screenwriting class, Jane? No, I was with Mason. Were no, you in that no, class? yeah, you were not in my, yeah, because otherwise you would be familiar with my terrible screenplay that does not exist anymore, um, I had, I wrote a coming-of-age story about an artist who's an asshole, who gets his girlfriend pregnant, and he has to decide whether he's gonna go to art school or, like, stay and raise the child. It was really stupid. Send it to me. I don't um, have it. Like, I legit, like, lost it. I legit don't have it anymore. That means you, like, hatefully deleted it, like, right after you sent it to your professor. I didn't even pick it up. Like, I didn't pick up the, um, the graded, because, like, that was, like, so I don't even know what Wilmot's comments on it were. I'm sure they weren't, like, you didn't want to see the notes. That's so funny. I just, like, I was too nervous. I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> well, there's this kid in screenwriting class, but he, you know, he kind of had this, like, issue with just, like, ripping off other scripts. You know, he would, like, take, like, three, like, really famous scripts and put them in, like, all of the components of them into one movie. And that the, that's how his ideas would be. So, like, the movie that we made in production class, it was, like, Under the Skin meets, like, Panic Room meets Eagle Eye or something. Like, it was, like, such a strange thing. Eagle but Eye, I, that shitty-ass Shia LaBeouf movie. <laughs> yes, but I could see, like, all of the inspiration, you know? Like, each key part. And then um, in screenwriting class, he did the, kind of the same thing. Like, he wrote this script oh my god if he ever hears this he'll know it's like exactly about him oh well he's not gonna listen to this he's not gonna hear our episodes i'll assure you <laughs> like listen dude like you had some interesting ideas but like definitely take wilmot's notes but so his his like i remember he pitched the script where it was about this girl who had been like sexually assaulted and she was, like, going to track down, you know, the person who sexually assaulted her. But then, like, the same day that she had been sexually assaulted, her mom died. And she has to, like, solve that crime, too. Meanwhile, she, the whole time, she is best friends with her neighbor, who is a man who has the elephant man disease. So it was, like, girl with the dragon tattoo and, like, the elephant man and, like... All of, it was just like all of these scripts put together. I just think he had the elephant man. <laughs> I just throws that in. <laughs> yeah, I remember Wilmot, you know, he listened to the whole thing. He like heard all of these different like B plots and stuff. And then Wilmot was like, hey man, you can choose one of those things. Because <laughs> there's just like 15 different plot points. And I feel that way a little bit about Heat. I was like, can you choose one thing? Like, I mean, it's not quite to yeah, that level. Like, but, like... Oh, well, yeah, obviously, like, a lot of people love this, this movie for a reason. Like, it's like, you know, it's it's definitely not like... And then Al Pacino's brother had Elephant's Man disease. <laughs> 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 but, 
but I mean, there, there were like, like the very the specific one that I had the most issue with was the 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 guy in De Niro's gang who kind of looks like Mick Fleetwood. He's like the fucking shitty ass dude that like De Niro beats the shit out of for fucking up the uh, robbery. Oh, so Wangro, the scuzzy looking one. Yeah, Wangro or whatever his name was. I was Um, gonna ask you, like right after you watched Heat, you tweeted that you like when people look scuzzy, and I was like, ew, did Jane like Wangro? No, 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 not him. And I was mostly talking about women, not men. (laughs) 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 Men that like like Prince to look like Prince or something. Men have to be, like, devastatingly pretty. <laughs> but women that can, like, beat me up, that's, that's basically Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. But, um, anyways, that's a little bit off topic. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't like, I didn't like how, um, they just, like, threw in this scene of him, like, murdering the sex worker and, like, showing the, like, investigating her crime like the crime scene and like her mom dying and stuff and like that's just like it's never addressed again in the movie like it's just there like you could have easily taken that like whole subplot out and you wouldn't have lost anything like we still would have known that that guy was a piece of shit like that's that was that's why i was saying to you like the only thing that i like that that served like to me the purpose of was just to like make sure that you realize like oh no this guy is really bad like robert de niro yeah yeah he may like murder a few cops here and there but he's not like this guy this guy's a serial killer so we should really root when robert de niro kills him (laughs) right when really like you know that wayne grow is a piece of shit you know in the first like five minutes of the movie when he just kind of like murders that armored car like for no reason yeah yeah for no reason and then causes the other two to die kind of like as a direct result because they like can't leave witnesses then and so it's like yeah we would have known that he was like unhinged and like had problems because he also like had this whole like interaction with him where i was like oh he's just crazy isn't he because like with the guard he was like man you just had to fuck with me you just had to fuck with me and it almost reminded me of like how I, I don't know, it's like, that's the kind of mindset I feel like a lot of cops have, <laughs> like, whenever, like, they're, like, dealing with people on the street, is like, well, he fucked with me, so I had to kill him, and it's like, dude, he, like, didn't even do anything to you, but anyways, so, like, you're, yeah, you're right, like, that was completely unnecessary, and then I think it also, like, made it seem like Pacino was, like, a bad cop, because he's, he knows that he has a serial killer, like on the loose because apparently this isn't the first sex worker who's been found like with the same like mo and then that's never mentioned again he's not he's not like trying to track down a serial killer because he's so obsessed with like those crimes he's obsessed with a fucking bank robber and it's just like it's a bank robber who he kind of even likes yeah (laughs) which is so strange you know Yeah, I thought that first heist scene was so good. Like, it's like the movie just, like, drops you in on the action. Like, you find out, like, everybody's dynamic with each other, like, really naturally. And it's not just, like, I don't know. Like, starting off with, like, the new guy in the crew, like, sometimes I find that trope, like, annoying. Because it's, like, clearly you just need somebody 
like that you can use to like introduce the audience to your other characters so you're like oh new guy or whatever but this like doesn't really do that in fact they tell him to shut up because he's like trying to get to know them and he's like the other guy's like maybe like stop talking to me tom sizemore's character (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so i really liked how it's just like really quickly set up who everybody was that like de niro was like in charge and that like the other two guys like really respected him that like Danny Trejo like who that was you know uh and then like also immediately I, I got the Dark Knight vibes <laughs> oh yeah yep yeah. um like you were cars. telling me that this is uh Christopher Nolan's favorite film of all time so yeah. what a surprise that the Dark Knight it's like stylistically lifts so much from this fucking movie like i had no idea like like i said this is my first time seeing heat and like i i only knew vaguely of it like just was always kind of aware of it as but like i had you know sitting down watching it, i was like man this feels really familiar and i was and it's not because i was like familiar with any of the scenes it was like oh aesthetically this looks like the dark knight this like the ro- bank yeah. robber scenes feel like the like robbery scenes from the dark knight like the color scale of the film is very similar to like the washed out blues of the dark knight like like this whole film is like uh, color color grading wise is like very it has a lot of like deep blues in the like and all the lighting and stuff and that's like the city like the city of la feels more like the city of of um well, I almost called it Chicago because that's where they filmed it in the Dark Knight, but it's Gotham City, obviously. Right. <laughs> but like, it like it doesn't feel like L.A. because it's so blue. <laughs> it just like, like it feels like to me, it feels more like you're like watching Gotham City or something. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I read about Chris Nolan was that he like used the L.A. that's in Heat as like his inspiration to make the Gotham for his three. Batman movies, so you're you're right on the money. Did you read that, or did do you just instinctively? No, I I inferred that from watching Heat. <laughs> <laughs> I made those connections because I have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought it was so like interesting, like yeah, because when I was watching it, I was like armored cars, men in masks, you know, this kind of like, you know. The, the bank robbers have, like, very little empathy towards, like, any of the bystanders. Like, they're like, we don't want to hurt you, but, like, they obviously will. Like, there's, like, a shootout where, like, all these people, like, they're shooting willy-nilly, you know? Um, so, like, I feel like kind of, like, all of those aspects and sort of, like, the mastermind, like, intricacy feel of, like, the crimes, that all, like, made me think of The Dark Knight, too. And then, yeah, whenever I read that, I was like, oh okay okay chris nolan you so <laughs> you're just gonna well i don't know i'm i'm not like well, ma- you know, it's, it's kind of like an homage remember this like did you did you ever have um did you ever have as a professor you yeah. can bleep his name out if you don't want to i did but like dude it's not even bad i was just like the he just always had this quote about like great directors steal from other directors <laughs> And then he played, like, a clip that was, like, see this scene right here from one of the things I worked on is direct ripoff of The Searcher, (laughs) of the opening shot from The Searchers. And then he played it back-to-back, and I'm like, what were some of the things that you liked about the film? So we kind of, like, touched on the fact that there's just, like, a lot going on, like, a lot of different storylines. So 
like just to the positive side of that I think is that all of the storylines are really interesting but it just feels like they're kind of like unnecessary like I think that it's like it helps that we see Pacino's home life not being great and that his wife is like done with him never being home and that his like his daughter has problems and stuff but I just think like so much of that was unnecessary like that his wife was like a pill popper and she was like such a strange portrayal of a woman like I, I was like what kind of woman is like you know like who's like this who it's like I mean I understand it's like frustrating if like your partner is never home and like it seems like he's not really great at communication this is like not a Pacino being a good boyfriend movie but at the same time he's also like a homicide detective and he works in the major crimes unit and so I feel like it's like a little bit more understandable that he like has a very important job and that's something that like he says to her he's like you knew when we got together baby <laughs> that it was gonna be like this and she's just kind of like inexplicably mean to him it feels like yeah no and I like I mean I think we're supposed to imply that like she's just at the end of her rope with like dealing with his stuff and like he yeah. and I think it's just that like he's never there and even when he's there it's like not like they talk about anything um, right, because so he doesn't want to discuss, her... like, he doesn't want to discuss his work with her, which is a problem to her as well, which I'd be like, yeah, leave that shit at work, babe. I don't want to hear yeah, about no, and, like, that. Yeah, I guess maybe, like, I don't know, she, yeah, her portrayal was kind of, was kind of odd. What did you think of Al Pacino's character, his portrayal? <laughs> I mean, so, like, that's the thing, is, like, everyone I think except for Wayne Grow is like still a likable character and I still really cared about them like in their in their storyline like like you don't cheer for anybody in this movie necessarily but like I think he, he plays like a very like interesting person but like I don't think that he's like a good guy or like I think that like Pacino is so good at like playing a cop and that he plays like a he, he always plays them as a bad person <laughs> yeah he's never had a I mean, I guess in acceptance, he's supposed to be yeah. a, a good a good dude, but like, I don't know, he's not really a bad guy in cruising either. He plays a cop. Oh but yeah, like, yeah. In sea of in, in sea of love, though, yeah, he's like a shitty ass dude <laughs> for sure. There's right. a lot of um, I felt like there was like this was like a little bit. This was his uh, sea of love character on cocaine, which yeah. actually which brings me to a point. Somebody, I don't know, I don't know if you were able to like if you found this in your research or not but somebody one of the people that um follows me on twitter told me that apparently one of like pacino's character was supposed to be like a cocaine addict which is why he's always like yelling and shouty and like excited all the time but they cut that out of the movie so therefore you just get pacino inexplicably yelly and, shout yep. and shouty that's this movie <laughs> like the whole like like it makes the whole like like ass the scene where he's interrogating Hank Azaria's character make so much more sense if he's like just fucking hopped up on cocaine right before he, <laughs> he goes to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, I guess like in early drafts he was a cocaine addict and then they like intended to shoot those scenes and then they never did and so Pacino just always like acted like he was on cocaine but then like they never included it and so he was just kind of like like, I think he revealed it, you know, later at, like, a premiere. He was like, you know, this character is supposed to, like, quietly be dealing with a cocaine addiction. 
But it's funny because, like, Hank Azaria, who... So I saw the great-ass scene, like, months and months ago, and I thought Hank Azaria was going to have a much bigger part in this movie. He's got, like, a very small role, and he was just, like, <laughs> a dick. But he got, like... The, the great-ass line is, like, improvised, and it scared the shit out of Hank Azaria. Like, he said that he, like, wasn't... <laughs> I love that that line... That's, like, the funniest line in the whole fucking movie, and that whole thing was, like, not in the script, and I think that's a little... Like, Al Pacino just thought that on the top of it. Top of it. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm gonna yell, great, she had a great ass. <laughs> and you've got your head all the way up it. That's... You can't forget about that part. <laughs> Hank Azaria, he plays um, Homer Simpson, right? He so he voices like so many of the characters. Homer Simpson, yeah. And it's funny because he actually based Mo off of Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon, and so he was like really excited to get to work with Pacino, and they share a birthday. So like on set, like while they filmed the great ass scene, it was uh, Hank Azaria's thirtieth birthday and Pacino's fifty fourth birthday, so they got to like celebrate their birthdays together. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I know. And you don't really, Wouldn't that be like you a dream come true? You area like, um, in like live action stuff very often, so I thought it was interesting to see him in this. <laughs> Do you remember that movie like that came out in 99? It was like, like Mystery Men or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah. No, who was in that, wasn't he? Yeah. There was a, ton, we had a lot of people where like, that was like, what, like Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, William H. Macy. Kel from Keenan and Kel was in that. <laughs> yeah it's like interesting that we're starting to get into these movies where i kind of remember them like i'm pretty sure i saw like bits and pieces of pete when i was a kid yeah i only think like only thing i'd ever seen from Pete before watching this like in full was the great ass scene and like memes like I've, I've definitely seen Pacino's like face for like with said great ass on it before. <laughs> Just saw, like scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> it was like but different. This is like a this is a movie a lot of people love though. Like yeah. Like, just from, like, talking to people when I said I was doing a Pacino podcast, I got, like, so many people, like, I want to be on the Heat episode. Put me on the Heat episode. I got a Curious Cat thing that was, like, I will do anything if you put me on the Heat episode. And I was, like, we're, it's too late to schedule a guest. We're already, like, recording in two days. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. I didn't know we had such a outcry. Oh, yeah. There was, people that there wanted was a to big, be. like, a lot of people wanted to do it, but I just because so many people wanted to do it I just felt too bad like trying to pick somebody so I was like well, I'm you're just like, gonna do this with Callie you're like a teacher you're like nobody gets to do it because <laughs> I can't decide that's so funny but yeah I mean so like I really like uh his his character in this is named Vincent Hanna I like him like I think he's really interesting and then I really I think like De Niro's character Neil Macaulay is really interesting as well. I love that they like mirror each other and stuff. But then, yeah, I mean the best scene in the whole movie is them in the coffee shop just talking to each other. <laughs> and you know, another this is another thing that I noticed, like that I think um, Nolan lifted for The Dark Knight was. I'm pretty sure he modeled Batman and the Joker's like interrogation scene kind of off of like the like one-on-one scene between like Pacino and De Niro's characters because like yeah it was like more aggressive but I think it's like the idea of like let's have the two antagonists like sit down and like just 
talk for like 10 15 minutes and like that'll be the centerpiece of the film like i'm pretty like i think that's another element that he took from this <laughs> but that yeah i love that conversation i was like man i could just listen to them just like talk to each other for another 40 minutes <laughs> and they only that's the only time they ever like speak to each other in the whole movie like yeah like they're like one-on-one at the very end with like when he's stalking him but like otherwise they're just like always like cat and mouse like barely mm-hmm. missing each other yeah i read that um pacino and de niro didn't rehearse the diner scene because they just wanted it to feel supernatural and like it was like just happening in the moment and uh then I, I also read that they decided together how the ending would be. Like, De Niro and Pacino were like, we're not going to talk. Like, it's just going to be a silent, like, handhold. Which, so gay. Love it so much. Yeah, it was cute. <laughs> I think one of my favorite aspects of this movie is that it really... Like, yeah, it shows that, like, the cops aren't really that effective, A that they, like, don't care about the serial killer as much as they care about robbers, like, people... Property. Property. Property, exactly. Yeah, like, (laughs) you know, they are definitely only there to guard money and things that other people own, but as far as, like, actually, like, protecting human lives, it's, you know, it's like they don't care, and, like... Like, how many people die during the bank robbery and when they're running through the streets and, like, just shooting fucking willy-nilly just like how many people die during that entire encounter <laughs> and then we have like you know the recurring pacino movie theme of prison being like an awful place and somewhere that like people never want to go back like he he's made so many films about people that just got out of prison or are in prison and like lose their minds so i think that's really interesting that like Folsom prison is such a big part of this movie like Neil Macaulay De Niro's character had served time and he keeps saying like I'm I ain't never going back and that's what I believe his last words in the film are and it's like they they did research at Folsom like they talked to inmates to like prepare for the movie and Danny Trejo served time there himself like actually Danny Trejo was just supposed to be an armed robbery consultant on this movie it's like and they just and they liked him so much they they were like we're gonna add you to the script. Basically, yeah, Michael Mann thought they name your was... character after you. <laughs> yeah, what a what a charming man Danny Trejo must be to just be like hey and then like walk onto a movie when he had only been in like two things before that. So Edward Bunker is a former criminal, you know, like who became a. A filmmaker. Oh, uh, Nate Voigt, or Nate, John Voigt's character is based on Edward Bunker, who's a former inmate of Folsom, and he's, like, best friends with Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo is, like, his, the, like, the godfather to his kids, and they serve time together, and then Ed Bunker, you know, he's, like, written a couple different things, and he was in Reservoir Dogs, and uh, he, I, I read that he, like, initially got Danny Trejo a job like on this set where he had to like be a a fighter like he had to like box in this movie and when they were in Folsom he was like the lightweight like champion like the fighting champ and I thought it was really interesting in this movie that it's like not only do we see like former inmates in their struggle with like a like going straight or like not going straight adapting to life or you know how they're doing since they got out 
but then um, the police, one of the officers, even like makes this comment to uh, Val Kilmer's wife's character, uh, Ashley Judd, like whenever he's trying to intimidate her into informing, like he tries to say that like you know she could go away with her husband and then his their their kid would be an orphan and he would likely go to prison himself and then he'd become like a gladiator or whatever like he's like implying that like prison is this awful place like i don't know i don't like think like prisons really like i don't know we've talked about how we're both kind of like we think that prisons shouldn't really be a thing but like if like you know if anything they need to be like rehabilitative and not just like the worst nightmare anyone can think of like yeah, no, like, I mean, it, yeah, it, it definitely shows that, like, yeah, one of the themes is that, like, prison is not, or, like, the, the idea of prison as being rehabilitative is, like, a joke. Because, like, I mean, they even play, like, as for as little time as his character gets, they even, I keep wanting to call him the Allstate guy, and that's so offensive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's, let me what's find his name, name again. Uh, Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Haysberg, yeah. Dennis Haysberg's character, uh, like, they, they illustrate that with, like, he tries, like, he goes, like, one of the scenes, the small scenes I did like was, like, when he w- was in the restaurant, and he was like, hey, I'm here, you know, I'm really good with the grill, and the guy's just so disrespectful, and like, yeah, that's great, you're gonna fucking clean up shit, and, like, you know, and he, he, he tries as hard as he can to, like, do a normal job, but, like, he's just treated like shit the whole time and so of course like when De Niro shows up he's just like yeah fuck yeah I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do cause like I cause De Niro like is I get respected in this in this scenario whereas where I'm trying to work in this within the confines of this job and nobody gives a shit you know another interesting like movie playlist would be characters that are driven to crime because of their shitty like restaurant service job it's like I, I feel like I've seen that in a couple things recently. Like I was watching Good Girls, which is like a TV show, and uh, Retta is one of the characters, and her like the reason that she becomes a bank robber is because she like can't fucking handle teenagers just like being shitheads to her at the diner that she works at and leaving her like seventy five cent tips and then like complaining about her, you know. And so I think like I really liked that like little B plot of the, the you know of Dennis Haysbert even though like it did feel very like extra I liked like it it felt relevant you know like whereas I feel like you know that like Natalie Portman's in this movie and she's like suicidal I liked her I actually liked her character I liked her subplot and I did think like I thought her character humanized um that's true Vincent a lot like I I, you know him like he finally like him rescuing and taking care of her did show that like oh okay this guy does like deep down care about people beyond the scope of just like what he's doing within the confines of his job so i i, I did like her but i i do think like you know we, we talk a lot about how there's so many freaking storylines going on and finding out in like the research that like this wasn't originally intended um, to be a TV series, actually. Right. Like, Michael Madsen had written a, this as a pilot. And so I think, like, the fact that this feels like so much shit is jamming, and it's really long, it's like almost three hours long, um, is that, like, a lot of these characters and these things probably would have been more fleshed out if this had been, like, 
you know, a TV series instead of like just the, the movie. Honestly, Which it probably, yeah, it'd be an amazing today, like AMC series. Would have been a Netflix series or something. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be a really good series. Like you're right, like they needed space to flesh out all those characters, and like maybe that's why we're seeing it. And we are like, well, this does have value. Like it does help in this way, and it does make sense. And like it just feels, you know, like it's a lot to to handle. Yeah, I mean, like, and that was around the heyday of, like, all these modern cop shows like Miami Vice and shit like that, so I think it was, you know, being the mold of something like that, which would have been interesting, I guess. But another thing, though, is this also is actually based on, like, real things and people and events that happen. Um, Like, and even that, like, the scene in the diner with Pacino and De Niro did actually happen to the uh, detective and the and the robber that he was <laughs> like like in, in the true story like apparently they did actually meet up for coffee at one point <laughs> had a very similar conversation right that's why i got excited <laughs> Which is, like you would think that's like the most unrealistic thing in the whole movie it's like why the fuck would he just sit down with the guy that he's like trying to butt away but it's like no apparently that really did happen <laughs> That's why I got excited when you said Miami Vice, because this movie is based off of, like, Chuck Adamson's experiences, and he's who created Miami Vice. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he's, like, a friend of Michael Mann's. They worked on Crime Story together, and um, he, like, yeah, obsessed. I thought you were going to say he's a friend of mine for a second. Yeah, he's actually a friend of mine. Like, how you, like, was all this time I've known you, you've just, like never mentioned that <laughs> i'm really good friends with chuck adamson the creator of miami vice <laughs> i watched uh, oh yeah me and chuck go way back <laughs> i watched a few episodes of that for my like 1980s uh, pop culture class i really liked it actually but you know me i love the 80s I've i love always, me I, on. I, uh, yeah no i've always wanted it that's a series that i've always wanted to actually sit down and watch even and like I usually hate cop procedural shows, but I just like the aesthetic of that show so much. Oh yeah. <laughs> like that's like the the pitch the pitch for that show was like MTV cops. <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. MTV cops. <laughs> yeah, I read that. So like the guy that he obsessively tracked, uh, Chuck Adamson. Um, his name really was Neil McCauley, and like. He said that he ran into, he was, like, tracking him, and then he just ran into him while he was picking up his dry cleaning, and he was like, do you want to go to this deli? And the guy was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, he took, he ended up, he really did kill him. Um, He, like, tried to, uh, Neil McCauley tried to rob a supermarket, and then there was, like, a shootout, and it was Chuck Adamson who eventually, like, was the one that, that got him. So it, it is crazy how much it follows that storyline like to a T like it makes me wonder like how much of the other plot lines are real or if it's just all fabricated to to flesh it out you know yeah but I know that Wayne Grow was a real person did you read that no I didn't hear what no I didn't I didn't hear that part He, he was like this like Chicago criminal who informed on some like big time people in Chicago and then he went missing and they found him in New Mexico and he was like had been murdered and he was like like nailed to like a barn or something like it was like really Jesus. gruesome 
So. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, Wayne Grove's a real dude. But the guy that played Wayne Grove, Kevin Gage, he served time, like, right after this movie came out, like, just a few years. And so when he was in prison the whole time, they called him Wayne Grove. Wow, he was married to Kelly Preston for two years. Gage was sentenced to 41 months in federal prison in 2003 for cultivating marijuana despite owning a California-issued license for medical marijuana. That sucks. He cultivated medical cannabis to help him cope with chronic pain and stress from injuries suffered in a 93 car accident, as well as for his sister who has cancer and a brother with multiple sclerosis. And he really, he served three years. That's really fucked up. He had a license. I feel really bad for him. <laughs> well, this one goes out to you, I mean, Kevin Gage. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> I like I I was hoping he deserved it and that he like fit his like scuzziness. I was like, I feel really bad. My apologies. Um, but uh oh shit, I read this really funny thing that, that Danny Trejo said about Val Kilmer. Apparently, like, while the, so the, uh, Val Kilmer was filming this, like, at the same time as Batman Forever, which was... Like, <laughs> which is funny, because I remember while, while I was watching Heat, um, my roommate, um, Vincent, he's also named Vincent, and the character is Vincent, um, he, he mentioned, he was like, can you believe that Val Kilmer was Batman? <laughs> it's like, no, he's a terrible Batman. That's the first. Uh, that's the first movie my parents ever took me to. Like the, I mean. Oh, Batman Forever. I was just a baby, but yeah, like my parents uh, still have the ticket stubs. It's kind of cute. But the very first movie I ever went to go see um, as a kid was the uh, when they re-released Star Wars the theater, the original Star Wars the theaters. That's cute. That's the first movie I saw in theaters. The first new movie I saw in theaters, like the movie that was like first run was the remake of um 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. <laughs> I feel like I, d- I don't remember going to the movies until like I remember seeing The Matrix when I- whenever that came out and I remember it gave me like a, a headache. I just remember seeing like action movies that gave me like awful headaches as a child like that those are my like early memories so like The Matrix and Pearl Harbor gave me awful <laughs> fucking headaches and I just like cried and cried. Uh, well, thankfully, neither one of those movies are on our list, so we don't have to, you won't have to replicate those experiences. <laughs> but, yeah, so Val Kilmer, he, I guess, like, he was filming Batman, and they offered him the, you know, the chance to reprise it for another movie, and they were going to give him $40 million to do a second Batman movie, and he turned it down because he felt like he was, like, wasting his talent behind a mask. That's what he told Danny Trejo. And I guess Danny Trejo just thought it was really funny because he was like, bro, you wear a mask in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, most of this movie, you are wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> but he just didn't Apparently, say anything. Apparently, like, Val Kilmer was like, that, that was like an issue with him in the 90s is I guess he was just like really hard to work with and kind of full of himself. Really? But uh, he seems fine now, but... He also has had, like, really bad battles with cancer and stuff, so I feel really bad for him. <laughs> yeah. I saw him, the last movie I saw him in was, like, one of the worst fucking movies I've ever seen in theaters, The Snowman. You remember that? You're seeing her hearing about that movie? Yeah. It's like this, like, yeah, it's like a fucking um, murder mystery thing. It's like 
based on it's like you remember when after the girl with the dragon tattoo came out there was like a slew of like swedish crime novels like from different authors like that was like a whole new genre that like broke in america so like the snowman was based off of another one of those like swedish crime series and and basically then the crux of it is that like this there's a serial killer going around and his calling card is he makes snowmen out of his victims <laughs> and, oh, they, like, and, and the, the problem with this movie is they like their director even like mentioned like they didn't even get to film like they had like 15 percent of the script left unfilmed so like the movie like is edited terribly it doesn't make any fucking sense at all when you're watching it but val kilmer is in it and like he had just like he had like was in the midst of like throat cancer at the time so they had to dub over all his lines with like the worst dubbing i've ever heard dubbed over and i just was like al i'm so sorry <laughs> apparently he was only in this movie because like the director like knew he needed like a job because he was like really sick <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so poor val he should have done the second Batman movie is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing I thought, so the the beginning of the film, whenever the, the cops are like asking people what they saw and the robbery and everything, there's a homeless man who has like a console TV and a cart that they filmed and like they, um, you know, interview him. They're like, oh, did you see what happened? Uh, and that guy, apparently, that's just where he lives, like, in that um, intersection in L.A. He was, like, a kind of a famous, like, local uh, homeless guy. And, like, that was his thing is that he always had a console TV and a cart. And, like, local businesses would, like, leave extension cords out for him so that he could, like, always keep his stuff plugged in. But I guess they didn't, you know, they didn't want to be like, get the fuck out of here. We're about to shoot, like, you know, of a dude's house, basically. Like, that's where he lives. And so they just wrote him into the movie, and they were like, yo, do you want to, like, make some money, I guess, so. I hope he got a fucking SAG card out of it, man. Good guy, Michael Mann, <laughs> I guess. That guy, better be, that guy better be getting fucking residuals off of heat, I swear to God. <laughs> I'm real, that be, um... Yeah, I know, that's the funny thing, is, like, I wouldn't have known that that was, like, that that guy was just, like, like a real dude, I thought, it's like, his because he was fine like i mean like it's just like oh yeah it's like a character i could I'd probably be in this movie <laughs> it's, it's so la like that it really it works yeah. in the movie so well like it's like why wouldn't you just use everything that's around you if you're trying to make something like quintessentially representative of a city it's like yeah just use the city <laughs> uh and everybody you know mm. like people around it so i liked they did that I, I really liked, I don't know, yeah, like, what, what you said, like, about it being, like, better, it probably would have made a better TV show, like, I totally agree, like, I think, like, AMC could do that or something, and it would, like, feel right, like, every, yeah. each, like, little part would have the time it needs, like, sometimes, like, I, I agree, like, whatever you said about the daughter character humanizing Pacino, and it's right, like, I might not have liked him that much unless he was always the one that was like, how is she? Like, is she doing okay? Is her dad even coming? Does her dad even care? You know? And it seems like her mom doesn't care. But then I think the only reason I was just kind of like, what the fuck about it, was that, like, collectively, she's in, like, three minutes of the movie. <laughs> so it just felt like, whoa, yeah, like, what's going on, you know? But, like... 
Yeah, I, I, I think that, like, all of the side characters are still really interesting. It just kind of, like, comes at you out of nowhere sometimes, like, Ashley Judd's character and Val Kilmer, like, their whole drama with their son and, like, his gambling problem and, like, all of that. And then I think it's interesting that you just know nothing about Tom Sizemore's character. Yeah, like, like except, like, the only thing that you really know about him is that, like, when they're when they're out assessing whether to like go through with the job or not now that they know the police are watching them like uh de niro is like oh you know you have like stocks and like legitimate businesses and shit like you don't like i'm gonna advise you to not go through with this job and he's still like no i'm gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) the whole like van zant storyline and that whole thing like it just like gets so like there's just so much going on in this movie like I keep like looking at the time it's like 50 minutes in and like there's still stuff we haven't mentioned and I feel like we also haven't mentioned like why it's called heat or like that whole like plot device and stuff you know that that was that was taken care of like fairly early because there was like that conversation he has with Val Kilmer in the um in his apartment Val Kilmer's crashing in his apartment he's like don't ever like get in any situation you can't leave in 30 minutes right. if the heat is starting to come out on you and like that's that's the whole like thematic theme of the movie because like De Niro even himself gets involved romantically and then the heat comes on him and he abandons her at the end of the film and even even you know even Pacino's character like follows a similar code yeah they're supposed to be, you know, just, like, the same guy, but different, like, lives. Like, they were both, like, former Marines. They're both, like, really, like, fashionable dressers. They're both obsessed with their work and, like, don't really ever give themselves time for their personal lives and people feel neglected or whatever. And then, like, I don't know. It's so interesting. Like, I think that this movie definitely has, like, the cops and robbers, like, little boys type of feel even though it's like grown men which Mm -hmm. I read this like interview with Pacino in the 90s it was like he was talking to some studio and they asked him like and De Niro whenever they were little boys and they played cops and robbers if they were a cop or a robber and De Niro said that he was a cop which that surprised me and then Pacino said that he liked to be a cop doing a robbery (laughs) I thought that was funny that makes so much sense knowing his personality that like yeah, that that's basically that's basically all the cop. Yeah, it's like all the cop characters he plays are kind of variations on that idea, <laughs> at least so far in the movies we've seen. Yeah, I thought that was cute that he said that. Overall, it's just like a really like it is effective and it is a good movie. Like, I liked. I, I didn't feel like it was, like, overdone, the whole, like, you gotta leave in 30 seconds, you know, like, would you be able to if you had to, that whole thing, and, like, I don't know. I like its portrayal of, like, the life of crime and what it's like, so. That's another uh, Pacino theme, is, like, just, like, the life of criminals, and I feel like they, all of his films are really non-judgmental about the way they look at yeah. criminals, which is good. Yeah, even even in Heat, you know, like, I'm trying to think of, like, the only movie, like, I guess, I would say the only movie he's been in that was judgmental of the criminals was Dick Tracy, but he was also playing a criminal in that, so <laughs> I guess that balances it out. 
Yeah. It's also just, like, basically a cartoon, so it's like, can you really yeah. take it seriously? As far, I mean, those, those criminals as well are, like, kingpins and, like, whatever. Yeah. It's not just, like, I don't know, it's like, De Niro, like, he, he's supposed to be this, like, mastermind and whatever, but, like, you still kind of just want him to be able to, like, take this, this poor girl away and, like, just, like, live his life, because it seems like maybe he was ready to do that, which I feel yeah, so, <laughs> I thought it was so funny that he's just so dog shit at flirting, like, she's like, hi, like, what are you reading? And he was like, who wants to know, basically? Like, he almost, like, pulled a gun. Yeah. Like, it was so fucking yeah. funny. <laughs> like, dude, she's flirting I with was you. Like, dude, you're having somebody who's, like, <laughs> you're having someone who's very attractive, like, ask you personal questions in a bar, and, like, and you're just, which is something that never happens, and you're just like, well, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> But, I mean, I love that scene. I thought it was, like, so well acted. Like, and then he's like, I'm sorry, that was so rude, you know? Like, what do you, you know, what are you reading? Like, what do you do? You know, he, like, saved it very well. And, and you see that he, he, like, is this, like, likable person. And I thought there were so many, like, little touches in this movie that showed both characters, like, who they are. So, like, there was a, the part where De Niro is, like, sneaking out in the morning, you know, after he sleeps with the girl he like gets her a glass of water and like wraps a paper towel around it and puts it on the nightstand and like I was like oh he did that so it doesn't like get too cold or like for the condensation like he's like it's such a thoughtful thing even though he like doesn't leave her his fucking number or like tell her that he's leaving but then like it's like Pacino you know he does like little like he he really cares about his his stepdaughter and he's always asking about her and like I don't know, there's all these, like, little things that aren't, like, giant parts of the movie, and they aren't really, like, about the criminal aspects, but, like, they really, like, humanize the characters, and I thought they did a really good job of that. There was also this very small thing that I, I just really loved, but Val Kilmer's son, there's only, like, two scenes where he's actually shown, like, he's a toddler, and there's, like, a scene where he's playing with, like, those little toys where it's, like, a shape, and you have to fit the other shape inside of it. And the kid is just, like, really good at that really early. And I thought that that was, like, a nod to, like, his dad being really good at breaking into things. His dad's kind of, the, like, the technical one of the crew. And he's, like, the one that opens safes oh, yeah, and I stuff. Didn't even so pick up on that. I that's thought that awesome. that was sweet. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a nice little detail. Yeah. What did, What else did Michael Mann direct? Because I feel like he might not, he might not be there. And uh, the only I know he directed Thief, which I've always wanted to see because that that's a movie. Um, you know, speaking of screenwriting class, I remember. Um, I think it was yeah, it was in Wilmot screenwriting class where he showed like the opening of uh, Thief as like a example of what of like how to like do inciting action and like get people hooked in really really quick. Oh, um, he did. Which you know you were mentioning, and he they do the same thing with like dropping you right into like bank robbery and stuff so like michael mann good at good at establishing scenes <laughs> we uh will actually watch another one of his films um just in a little few like years down the line in pacino's filmography he directed the insider which comes out in 1999 but his other ones are like the last of the mohicans crime story uh manhunter thief i don't know 
and then he did more recently he did, did that movie with Will Smith. I blanked on Will Smith's name for a second. Which, I couldn't remember Will which, Smith. Which Will Smith movie? Ali. Oh, he did Ali, really? And then he did Collateral, and he did the Miami. Oh, that's what I knew him from. I knew he fucking did Collateral. Is such a good movie. I love that movie. Have you seen that? I then the title sounds so familiar, but I think I'm thinking of Collateral Damage. Yeah, no, Collateral, um, that's, uh, Tom Cruise plays a, uh, it's like a rare movie where Tom Cruise plays a villain, he's, like, a, the hitman in it, and Jamie Foxx is his cab driver, and he basically, like, kidnaps Jamie Foxx in his cab and, like, has him, like, drive him all over, like, uh, whatever city he's in to, like, to, like, do the, um, commit the crime, like, to do the things that he, like, was setting out to do on his job and stuff, it's so fucking good, that's actually the very first film they ever screened, in any of my film classes, I remember in Film 100, uh, Collateral was the first movie they showed. So, <laughs> but apparently, lots of Michael Mann is used in the film program of KU. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, like it seems like he's very like talented, but he's only done like a few things, and like he's not like much talked about. It's not like a, a name that I've really heard very much. But like the I don't know, like really quickly, like as into the movie, like maybe like five minutes. I was so, like, into the different angles and how he filmed people's faces and stuff. I was like, who the fuck directed this? Like, I, like, had to look it up, so. <laughs> oh, and, 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 and just while we were on Collateral for a second, another interesting thing. Uh, Jamie Foxx plays the cab driver in it, but you know who's originally um, the first choice to play Jamie Foxx's character in Collateral? Yeah. Adam Sandler. <laughs> 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 that was good. With after seeing Uncut Gems, like, yeah, I want to see fucking Adam Sandler in Collateral. He would have done great in that. <laughs> I still need to watch Uncut Gems. It's very good. I love it. <laughs> I, I, like, considered watching Misery recently, but I don't know if I can do Especially, uh, yeah, after after we talked about it on the Frankie and Johnny episode with <laughs> Kathy Bates. <laughs> yeah, I just, like, I really love James Caan. I love Kathy Bates and, like... I know it's a really good story, but I just don't know if I'm going to throw up or Oh, I guess we'll... I've never seen it either, so I guess we'll... <laughs> let me know if you ever watch it. <laughs> um, yeah. De- definitely. I don't know. I feel like both of us watching that together, our anxieties might, like, morph into one anxiety and then just, like, take us both out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Although, I don't know. I don't get super anxious watching movies, um, unless it's, unless it's a freaking Darren Aronofsky movie. He's, like, the only director that, like, actually, like, legit gives me anxiety attacks watching his films. Like, I saw Mother in theaters, and, like, I left, and I was like, it just fucked me up so much. Hmm. I was like, I didn't like that. And I also watched Pi by myself, um, in my dorm room freshman year, and that movie gave me a headache. So yeah, well, this like Darren Aronofsky, he uh, apparently can give me um, anxiety attacks with his films, but usually I'm, I do pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I just really love the scene where he like comes home and there's like another man there, and his wife is just like, yeah, like this is the guy I've been fucking, like. And Pacino is like, listen, you can ball my wife, but don't watch my TV. And he just like grabs the TV and like walks out. <laughs> later just like pushes the tv out of his car and like lets it break i don't know i just really love i feel like 
Pacino's it's so also, good at, like, having a little bit of a breakdown in a movie. Like, in Typico, yeah. when he, like, slams that chair around, and it's, like, kind of ridiculous, and then... I don't know, there's I a lot of, like... Michael Mann liked Panic at Needle Park, because, you know, there's right. the, the return of, of the TV motif, and Al Pacino's using ball as a euphemism for sex. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, the, I mean, it really did, it did kind of feel reminiscent of that scene from Panic at Needle Park, where he was like, you didn't have to ball him, why'd you have to ball him? And it's, like, almost the same level of, like, patheticness of, like, that he's doing in Geek, where he's like, you can ball my wife, but don't watch my TV. It's, like, they're very, like, two sides of the same coin, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> I really liked that. I mean, like, especially since we watched that, and, like, it's always been a joke between us, you know, like, the whole TV set, like, I can provide for you, baby, sort of thing, and... Maybe, yeah, I wonder if they meant to do that, or... Well, I actually read that Michael Mann, he directed something a few years prior to this where uh, the character also just, like, storms out with the TV set, so... Maybe that's just a motif in Michael Mann movies. He really likes when characters storm out with television sets. (laughs) Maybe it's just something where, like, it's just a part of the human experience, and we just haven't gotten there yet, where you're just like, this is my fucking TV, and you, like, leave... I don't yeah, know. one day I'm gonna I, one day I'm gonna text you and like I, I, I'm finally an adult, Callie. I just stormed out of, of an apartment with a television. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're like in a major breakup, like wouldn't that be one of the first things that you would take? The television, maybe. <laughs> I guess it depends on if it's mine or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, like someday I'm gonna write a movie where I come home and my partner is with somebody else and I'm going to be like, listen, you can ball my partner, but don't you play my Nintendo Switch. Like, they're going to be, like, playing Mario Kart together and I'm just going to, like, rip the Joy-Con out of their hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good scene, actually. (laughs) Next week we have Looking for Richard. Yeah, Al Pacino's directorial debut, and he's directing a documentary about putting on a Shakespeare play. I watched it today. It's as exciting as it sounds, folks. <laughs> I watched but, it today, yeah, and I'm, it, I'm excited. So We actually get to delve into the real personality of Al Pacino in this film, and we get to see what he's like in real life so that'll be an interesting subject to touch on I think. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like if al pacino was reading you a no fear shakespeare book <laughs> there's your letterbox review right there <laughs> <laughs> feel free to follow callie on twitter at callie bud she just passed 500 followers let's all give her a round of applause yay oh, i thought maybe you were gonna do the round of applause thing that like English teachers do where they do it oh, in a circle I could do that too <laughs> yeah 500 woohoo you can follow Jane yeah. who much funnier and has a lot more followers no. uh, at static blue bat or <laughs> you can follow both of us at the Pacino pod oh wait what at is Pacino pod yes on Pacino underscore, underscore pod, pod. Yes. right and um, please feel free to rate uh, us five stars and review us. Uh, leave us a review because it helps us get discovered. Yay, discovery. See you next week. We're going to see if we can find Richard or not. <laughs> We're still looking. <laughs> <laughs>